Wes, what's going on? Hello! So, I asked you here because I knew that you had done... Well, I knew you'd read the book, and you reminded me that you did the chapters for Marcus Verus. But what we're, what we're doing here, if you can't tell, is a little unpolished. It's unpolished because we were going to do this last week when I had all this extra bandwidth and stuff, but I had one of the most like cognitively taxing weeks of my life doing jury duty all week, which was fascinating, and I will talk about it at length at another time. Um, all right, but let's be real. It's unpolished because Eniosh is the one who adds the polish, and he's not here. Eh. You know, he, we we don't want to we don't want to take all the credit from him and say that he does he adds none of it. But I I like to think I can do a half halfway decent job on my own. All but, right, uh, or rather the two of us. But probably the two true. of us can to, can probably amount to about a fourth of an Eniash or a third of an Eniash. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, Eniash adds no polish to the mind killer. He just shows up, <laughs> puts talk, wants to talk about a bunch of uh, irrelevant stories and about how AI is terrible. Yeah, you could, you should just do that show solo. Um, well, we did it but, this uh, week without him. We had uh, we had Jamil instead. Oh, we'll we'll see how it turns out. Yeah, no, it's just, just terrible. We miss him. We miss him terribly. Indeed. Hopefully, he's having fun in the desert. Which is actually why we're doing this now because mm-hmm. I figured I could get this recorded and out. I was going to have two, maybe three out, and I was ambitious. But that was when I thought I could start like Monday of last week. But <laughs> oh, so um, you're doing like individual interviews with a, you know a, I, several different it, people. It's kind of up in the air. If you want to come back for the other two, I'm trying to find guests. So the format for this is going to be one for Marcus Veras, one for Andreas, and one for Joa, right. and then probably one with Inyash. Um, oh, but he the, gets to uh, be on it. Do what? I said, oh, he gets to be on it. I mean, I, I like to wrap up these these book podcasts with a talk with the author if I That's get the opportunity true. to. The fact that I have ready access to him, you know, just makes it all the easier. So the wh- what I want to talk about was what lies dreaming, if that isn't clear yet. So <laughs> I I don't is this episode read, one? Th- this is episode one. All so right. what are yeah. we calling this podcast? I I'm it's up in the air. I'm probably going to call it like Who Lies Dreaming, Marcus Veris, Andreas, Joa, whatever. Mm. Or we want dreams. So, something something that riffs on terribly off of. We want more. We've got more <laughs> that sort of stuff, right? Yeah. But, but basically, I wanted to start by saying that I I don't. I think I mentioned this with uh, the Worth the Candle one is that I, I have a hard time picking up a new anything, new TV show, new new, especially new books. Mm-hmm. A movie is like a one and done, so I don't. I'm not so averse to grabbing a new one of those, but I I tend to rather watch repeats rather than start new shows or even re- read new books. So that's why it took me years to get around to reading this. And I remembered I read the short story that this was the evolution of years ago when that came out. Um, so yeah, some I, of this felt familiar, but like only distantly so. Yeah, I have trouble picking up new books too. Um, I, it's it always takes me like a few chapters to actually get a feeling for the world. And yeah. until then, I don't remember anything that's happened. And that whole beginning process usually just feels like a slog. Yeah, like and, like wait, and sometimes what? it lasts wait, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the. Um, uh, this oh, book ahead. was easier for me to pick up because I actually read it as part of the the when the server was doing book club. Yeah, if you remember that? And that I, was like I, years ago. Yeah, I wasn't as uh, there. There was a period. I'm getting back into it now, but there was a period where I really didn't touch Discord for a while because mm-hmm. it sucked for a bit. Um, you guys didn't. The Bayesian conspiracy Discord's always been perfect, but my <laughs> experience started started to take a bit of a drag. Well, yeah, you should just um, not be on any other servers. Yeah, that's that's the lesson I took actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there you go. There's there's a local uh, rationalist server, and that's about it. Um, 
but basically I, there were a few sentences and that's why I want to start with Marcus Ferris and you are available. So it just kind of worked out great, but uh, it was reading his perspective that was like, Oh, I need to talk about this book. (laughs) All right. What about it? So like, I'm not going to do like any, you know, huge refreshers on like the plot or anything like that, but uh, I guess I'll do like the the broad strokes, but we're not going to do a play by play. This is, this is going to be a different format, but Oh, good. I think I did not I think, take notes. Good. <laughs> I think he did a great job capturing like the kind of like the worn weathered perspective of, you know, the I, I just pictured the old Roman guy in robes, you know, basically like, uh, you know, from the TV show Spartacus, who's just been working towards, you know, this this important esteemed goal to himself for decades. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you get like the exhaustion, you get the, the worn out bit of him like the character just came off the page. Right. Yeah. And I don't know how Inyash captured the voice so well, someone who's lost a loved one and made every effort to carry them forward. But there was, there was two lines I went and grabbed in preparation for this. And the first one was, so his, this is referenced all the time through his POV, uh, where his son Quintus died in the war effort to keep the barbarians at bay or whatever. Right. Wrong kid died. That's right. And, but, but, but as he says, his son wasn't fully dead, not yet. As Mm -hmm. long as Marcus kept him alive in his thoughts, Quintus remained the ability to impact, retained the ability to impact this world. Marcus had made himself Quintus's bridge between this realm and the next. He would keep his soul's son, his son's soul safe. And then there's like a scene. So then he goes, I think, I don't think it starts this way. I think it's more as the the week goes on. The book takes court, the the whole book takes uh, course over the, or takes place over the course of a week. And after a while, he starts like imagining like a physical apparition of his son. And I think his wife comes in and was like, you've been ignoring your whole family and stuff. And he looks over to his, his figment of his son. And he said, he says, you have a duty to mother. Quintus said, not what Marcus wanted to hear, but Marcus knew what it was, what Quintus would say. If he altered Quintus's words to fit his own convenience, it would be as bad as killing Quintus himself. He must hold fast to Quintus's true reactions he was his son's only keeper. Oh my God. And it was that line that he, if he altered his words to fit his own convenience to be as bad as killing him uh-huh. himself, that's what made me realize like, Oh, I need to talk about this book to somebody. That's the most Eniash line I've ever heard. Oh, there's a handful of like the most Eniash lines. Ever as soon as, as, I love it. Right. When you said that, I was like, Oh man, I should bring this up to Eniash. And I was like, Oh wait, he wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> why, why do you say, Oh, because that's his whole, his whole thing is, um, is is you know he's he's one of these believers in that the uh, you know a perfect copy of you is you, and if you uh, you know alter yourself in in some way, then you're basically dead, and it's a different person. I talked about that all the time. That, yeah, he does, and I hadn't put that connection together actually explicitly. It was more just the idea of I, I was thinking it I guess specifically just from Marcus Ferris's point of view, like how he would feel that way without any idea of you know. Um, being uploaded into the matrix. No, no, no. This is all, this is Uh, all, this is all Eniash's, uh, you know, uh, feelings on immortality. I liked, uh, I, I happened to know independently about how, how much Eniash hates dreams. And so (laughs) does he, I didn't know. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think, um, the, well, in the, in one of the Joa sections, he has like this whole nightmare about like going to go visit his prostitute boyfriend character guy. Yeah. And then, the guy's like, oh shit, you're waking up. I'm going to die. Please don't wake up. Um, I remember Enos telling me a story that he had a dream like that once. Although I think it was his brother. That was like, you're killing me. Please don't wake up. 
And uh, that how, sounds familiar. I've, I've definitely I've heard a, somebody talk about that before. I've had dreams where, like, I know I'm dreaming, but usually I, I don't feel the least bit guilty about waking up over it. Um, and uh, it's anyway. It was just fun to see, like, the bits. There are of definitely Yash dreams I don't want to wake up for, but they usually don't involve family members. That's true. They usually involve hookers and blow. <laughs> um, <laughs> but make my uh, own dreams. <laughs> yeah, with blackjack and hookers. Um, I don't know, man. I I just. Uh, I, I wanted to get this off. And like I said, it was going to be a bit more regimented. Th- those are my only two notes were those two things I pulled out, but like the character of Marcus Veris, the, the other thing about the, just the book as a whole is, you know, he, he captures it from three wildly different perspectives. Right. Yeah. And Varys is at like the top of the ladder, whereas Joe was at the bottom mm-hmm. and arguably, you know, I guess th- they each have their own struggles and sufferings, but like Joa isn't as, put out with his station as you imagine he would be right yeah i mean most of the stuff just... most of the stuff that sucks about his life is from from other people yeah yeah and he's just you know mostly trying to survive yeah and uh yeah marcus i you know his i i, I wish i had more more written down here but this is uh we're coming up on a time crunch but um i i just i don't know i loved the i and i wonder and i'll when i get a chance to pick enosh's brain about this i'll ask him I wonder, like, so, you know, he had the three characters. He also did the three perspectives. What do, what do you call yeah. the first, second, third persons? Yeah, perspectives. Perspectives, yeah. yeah. And I'd never read a second person story before. Yeah, I remember Googling years and years ago why it was first and third, like what even was second. Mm-hmm. And second was like, oh, yeah, you do this, you do that. Yeah. And I think I totally get why he did the second perspective for Andreas. Uh, and what, the, why, the, what is your thought on that? Well, I'll talk about it more in the Andreas chapter, but the the or the episode, but maybe those will just turn it. You know, maybe they'll all maybe I'll just do three that kind of you know hodgepodge together. But really, I think Andreas, you, I say you on you know subconsciously actually because it's it's written second person, but it conveys his struggles on a on a more personal level. Like you're the one not feeding the citizens if you don't steal the bread or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, it it's more visceral that way than saying, well, Marcus felt bad. Um, so it's interesting. And I, I wonder if he put Marcus as third perspective um, because he wanted to just do all three and this was the character that worked for, or if there was a, any other reason, you know, maybe it was when he, he felt most distant to, or the one that we're not meant to insert ourselves into that much. Yeah. I mean, Marcus Varus is, you know, he's the emperor. So basically he's, 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 he's the, he's the second hand to the emperor kind of right. like, yeah, the emperor is his loser friend. Right. Who, right. Well, but his friend like, who is beleaguered. Yeah, he, he's the he's, he's the noble. He's the he's the de facto emperor. Yeah, he's he's pulling the strings. Yeah. Um. So, but he's definitely the one who is the um the the most difficult to uh not 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 to empathize with, but to identify with. Yeah, I I agree. I so mean, that, like, I, that makes I sense to me. It. Why, if if one of the characters was going to be third person, it would be him. That makes sense. He's not going to have a lot of noble readers. And uh, you know, what made um, leaning into Andreas, Andreas for a second, my, my one sentence takeaway from him is that he, he's basically been bitten by the Peter Singer bug. And he, and he has Peter Singer thundering in his head all the time, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you, 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 must, you must atone for this. You, you'll never be able to, but you need to keep trying. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't why, know. Why are you eating? You, you've got enough to eat. Those kids are starving. Now you've had those kids. What about those ones? Like, <laughs> God. That would be absolute hell to have Peter Singer in your head. 
yeah, I think I get why Marcus drink or why uh, why Andreas drinks so much. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I don't know Marcus. His you know, I'm trying to think of like if he has like a uh, all the stuff that you know we talk about in a book analysis podcast, like an arc or something. And not really, actually, like he has his ambition. And I guess if he has an arc, it's more of a spiral downwards to where he's willing to throw not just all of his not not everything he has, but everything in Rome into the ditch yeah. just to get to, to the he's worried about the the oncoming blight of the hedonists who are going to let rome fester and you know right become complacent while the barbarians come kick the doors in 20 years later right mm-hmm. and at, at the last part of the book he makes the decision to burn all the hordes of food that he'd been saving during a famine yeah uh, just to, as a sacrifice to burn 10 times that much food that's on its way right, right? like he uh, well so the way i read that is that he's um you know, he's, he has this sort of pragmatic plan, right, to save Rome. Um, that is, by, by seizing power and, and engineering this famine. But at, at the end, I feel like it's not that he really changes, but that he is revealed as, um, you know, not, not being a pragmatist. That this was uh, never about, you know, the... the you know, saving Rome or, you know, the, the earthly, uh, uh, materialistic things that, you know, he was, he was telling himself it was about, it was about, you know, his own, his own power and his own legacy and, you know, and, 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 um, you know, stopping the bad guys, preventing his enemies from winning. I, I agree with the second part. I'm not sure so much about the, the legacy part. I got the impression that he didn't care if he got credit. Like, maybe, yeah. I guess he, he kind of did. He, he yeah, did, I don't like, mean his did, reputation like, uh, as a legacy, but I mean his his impact on the world. Okay, yeah. Not necessarily sure. that anyone has to know that. He, he did like the opportunities that he got to puff his chest in front of his political enemies, though. He did like um, that, but who doesn't like that? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah, it, you know, his... His ambition to, I mean, so you think that it was less about saving Rome at all costs and more about like him wanting to have an, a big impact. Yeah. Well, cause then why at be. the end would he have, uh, you know, de- decided to, uh, just burn all the, the, the food stores. I think this might be part of my problem with just being like, uh, I don't know, hugely gullible all the time. Like I'll take everyone's <laughs> word for it, but, but the way that he describes it and the way that I bought it was like. You know, sure, this would get us through the famine, but that will just make us more complacent. We need, you know, I I, I need to knock out knock down this emperor. I need to knock down my political opponent whose name I can't remember. And if that means that a few more people, you know, a few thousand more people have to starve, then that's the price I'm willing to pay. Right? Uh, it's interesting, you know. It's it, not interesting. Some of you so you may it die, is. but you know, <laughs> I'm willing to throw. <laughs> I have waves and waves of men at your disposal. <laughs> um, but uh. Yeah, if he has to throw, you know, if, if the killbots have a maximum kill amount of a thousand, then he has to throw all the people at the killbots to stop them. Right, but then, like, uh, you know, when you when you encounter him at the beginning of the story, that's not that's not something you would expect him to say. You know, he has this very pragmatic plan where you know there's going to be some pain, but it's not going to be mass starvation. He has all the grain stored up, uh, and, and after he seizes power and crushes the hedonists, then everything will be fine. Right. And when that plan doesn't work out, instead of doing the pragmatic thing and being like, oh, man, I guess that won't work. Uh, Time to come up with a new plan. He's like, nope, we're doing it anyway. And just 
it'll be, you know, a hundred times the amount of pain and suffering and death that I thought it was going to be. But this is, this is all that matters. That's a good point. It's not clear, you know, you're right. He does just double down, which isn't all that common for, or isn't all that uncommon for a sunk cost. But I wonder at what point he would have stopped. Like how many Romans are actually going to die? If it kills half of Rome, if it kills, you know, 90%, is it still worth it to him? Right? Right. It's it's not really like, clear that he would he rather he, destroy Rome than see it fall into the hands of his enemies. Ah, you know that strikes me as distinctly plausible. Um, there was a a line or it, there there was a plot line that I think like didn't really carry all the way to the end, but he had this like hair he had this like hail mary idea to talk to the the wizard barbarian guy and say, look, I've got this really vivid figment of my son and all these papers is there a way to like resurrect him yeah and he has andreas just sit there and read and read and read because he's also got the eye of the gods on him and right and he thinks that like having andreas like ha- form this like super uh a salient connection to quintus is is how it works you know now that i think about your interpretation of uh you know what it means to let you know how how a lot of his his obsessing about Quintus and keeping him perfectly true in his mind mm-hmm. is about you know Inyash's view of self um yes of self in general in in a way just having someone else have that figment is another way of keeping Quintus alive right yeah yeah so it's it wouldn't it wouldn't even necessarily have to be about the gods breaking Andreas's brain and shoving Quintus's in there right right it's like no now now we've just got another copy Mm-hmm. Which, in a way, if we're going to go ahead and psychoanalyze Inyash from here, is kind of why Inyash writes in the first place. I mean, right? That's what I'm here for. <laughs> I think that you know that there's there's a lot to be said about like wanting to put so many things out in the in more people's consciences than your own, yeah. whether it be through writing or or podcasting or whatever, because then some semblance of you goes on, right? It's what they call a legacy. I suppose so. So. So I, I just thought of this and, um, you know, it, it's been years since I actually read this book. So I, I, I'm probably remembering some stuff wrong. Um, but when we were talking about, you know, Marcus, would he rather destroy Rome than see it, it fall into the hands of his enemies? Like how could, could that it, maybe that's related also to the idea that, you know, if he changes anything about Quintus, then then Quintus is dead. Right. So maybe he's looking at Rome the same way that actually what would happen if his enemies gained power is that Rome would be destroyed. It wouldn't be Rome anymore. Uh, in right. the same way, it, it might Quintus exist only in name, but, if he yeah. changed, you know, anything about him to, to suit his own uh, convenience. Yeah. If, if he modified Quintus to say, no, man, you got this. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Then he's like, well, that's not what he would say. Right. right? And then, and, and if if, if Rome were to persist in such a twisted form, it's as bad as killing Rome himself, right? Right. So you know yeah. why there's no risking destroying Rome is par for the course there because if he doesn't do it, Rome's going to be destroyed. I mean, yeah. he's telling himself that oh, that'll be in twenty years when the barbarians attack. But maybe how he really feels is that if Rome is altered in this way, it it loses all the value that it had as Rome itself. Right. It becomes this, this weakened shell of itself that, you know, he'd rather, he'd rather burn it to the ground than let it turn into that. You know, like Eniash things happens when you wirehead. 
<laughs> yeah, and those filthy hedonists are all about the wireheading. This, exactly. this is Inyash's uh, hard stance against wireheading. It I think really he would, is. I wonder if uh, Inyash would rather burn the world. Well, you know, actually, no. I think he, he would rather the world wirehead than... Actually, okay. What I was going to say is I wonder if he'd rather destroy the world than wirehead it. Mm-hmm. And then I was going to say, no, I think he'd rather wirehead it. But I think what he'd actually say is that there be no difference. That's Yeah, I think that's what he'd say. And then, so I'm thinking maybe that's what Marcus Varus would say. If he's saying, would you rather destroy Rome or see it fall to the hedonists? Be like, that's the same. These are the same picture, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, 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 I think you're onto something there. So, Eniage, if you don't want to be Marcus Varus in the story, because I don't think he's the hero, maybe consider modifying your stance on wireheading. You know, that's actually a good question. I don't know who the hero is. I mean, Joe is probably like the best bet, but, you know, Andreas definitely tries his best. Yeah, but I think Joe and Andreas, to- they're, I mean, they're not opposed to each other, and they're also pretty sympathetic characters that's true but if trying your best makes you the hero the marcus Varus is up there too right no <laughs> dr doom tries his best right. but he's also the bad guy marcus, right? so. marcus Varus. uh i mean he's a he's a sympathetic villain but he does seem to be the villain yeah he's not the uh the titus who's right. who's a character who goes across all three of these characters paths right right and i love how he's a different person to all of them uh, to, to Marcus, he's the, you know, perfectly respectable. Oh, your son and I were, were, were super chummy and, uh, you know, don't, don't I remind you of him kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's actually, I, I don't know. Since I'm not planning on doing a Titus episode, we can psychoanalyze Titus here too. <laughs> I don't know who t- Titus, I think I was gonna say, I wonder which one he really is, but I, I don't think who, you know, I don't think that question actually has, has meaning to it. Like which one are they really? Uh, they're really all of them, right? Mm-hmm. He, he's really the we contain the multitudes. Exactly, they contain multitudes, man. I mean, not me, but other people. Right. I've looked inside. There's no one home in here, <laughs> but other people. Um, but the yeah, he's he is who he is to to Varys, but he's also like the you know the savage orangutan crucifying rapist that he is to Joa too, right? Mm-hmm. So it's uh, he's. He's less of a sympathetic villain as he, as more as, as, Man, as I do not remember an orangutan being crucified. But like I said, it's been a few years since I read this book. It was it was just one like it it, it they only talked about it, I think once. But like Joe spends the whole week running away from the the Ludus every time he hears Titus is in the neighborhood, and he comes back one day and in his little office where he does his accounting, his, his uh, orangutan is is crucified at the wall in there. Mm, that so. is a weird thing to do. Yeah, that that guy's pretty fucked up. I, I also loved how unceremonious his death was. Man, which I'm, is no, super I'm glad fitting. I don't have any multitudes. <laughs> I don't need that in my life, right? Who's got the room for that? Yeah, uh, Titus just dies when uh, he's he's raping Joa, and Joa grabs the like accounting pen and oh, yeah. turns around and hits him in the neck with it. And it wasn't like you know some awesome showdown. It wasn't I set a cool trap for him. It was just kind of just this blind you know reach. And it shows how fragile even like the biggest, baddest guy is, right? Yeah. But I'm trying to think of anything else to say on, on Marcus Varus. I really did love the, uh, do you remember the ending like, yeah. where it's all the POVs mingling? Yeah, I actually reread that chapter. Just that, that whole thing sent shivers down my spine. Mm-hmm. I fucking loved that. The that was fun to record too, because we all did, uh, we, all, we all split it up into different lines we were reading. Oh, that's awesome. 
Yeah, I tried. I So if this was released as a proper podcast feed, I would have listened to it. But I tried listening to one on a walk and the uh, the web page player just hated running in the background of my phone. In my oh, pocket. yeah. Web page players are garbage. It you stopped twice. Ash? Release and it, it as a podcast. My, right. <laughs> yeah, it didn't it didn't save my progress either time when it stopped. And I'm like, well, I forget it. I don't know where if I was five minutes into this or 10. I'm yeah, not going to want that. No, I think what it, we so. did was we uh, when we were recording it, we just uploaded everything into like a Google folder and people yeah i think that they were then just attached it. to the web pages uh, on the website yeah um but i'm sure I'll, I'll have some more refined thoughts for the follow-up episodes here but i can't think of anything else right off i wanted to say about marcus Varis, other than i just i absolutely loved the um i was gonna say the, the connection the whatever hit, hit uh, the, the relationship to quintus yeah i thought that that just that that hit right on the head really well yeah, that was uh yeah, I thought like that was very believable. That yeah, that was um but also, you know, that that probably also had something to do with why he was so uh monomaniacally focused to the point where he would um you know, b- risk the the wholesale uh, uh starvation of Rome. Yeah, you know, it it seems like he and his family probably wouldn't have starved, but yeah, it, it definitely would have put them at risk. You know, you can only get so many starving people before they start kicking your door and looking where your food is, you know? Yeah. I, I anticipate something like that could happen in our not too distant future. And you know, it, the, the, the rich people with hordes of food aren't going to be able to hold on to it while the barbarian, while us starving barbarians are scratching at the yeah, gate. Right. Yeah. And well, and like I said, um, it's been a while since I read this, but my recollection was that like, his plan by the end pro- didn't even seem like it would work. His plan at the end was basically keep things destabilized for yeah. at, like the rest of the week, at least until he could. Uh, I'm trying to remember the specific, what was actually the end game at the end? Like he didn't want the, like he, he, he wanted things to stay destabilized long enough for him to overthrow the emperor is what it yeah. was. Uh, and overthrow him like somewhat legitimately, like get the Senate behind him and say, yeah, this guy sucks. He caused all this problems. Right. Let's throw him out. But it just, it didn't seem like by the, by the end that that was likely to happen. Yeah, so it definitely, it was more, he was, he was uh, reaching for straws at that right. point, right? That's what it, that's how it seemed to me is he was just like, uh, no, no, it's still good. It's still good. <laughs> <laughs> just a little airborne. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah uh, uh because he I, couldn't because uh, he because he just couldn't give up on it yeah in for a penny in for a pound i guess right yeah i like oh it. no we're doing this no matter what goes wrong yeah well i don't have much else to wrap up on this um this was going to be a better job maybe right maybe Ineos just bring all the polish and i don't i, I didn't have any of this, so, <laughs> uh, but why don't, why don't we, unless you had much much more to say on it, we can wrap here before uh, it gets too much further off the rails. No, I'm good. Cool, man. Well, thanks for joining me. All right, awesome. Cool. Thanks again, bud. Yeah.